0: Great, right, it's lovely love to see you. My name is John T. If we haven't met before, we're going to um, dive back into Jesus' teaching um, in the Sermon on the Mount, and it is the most extraordinary sermon ever preached. Um, and like many sermons, it has a structure to it. It has an introduction, it has a middle bit, and then it has a conclusion. And what we're doing today is we're coming into the conclusion. Tell me down a bit. Thank you, tell me down a bit. We're coming into the conclusion, and that's what we're going to see as Jesus finishes his great sermon on the mount. We're going to hear how he challenges us to respond. But in case you think that we're getting near the end, we're going to take four weeks to do Jesus' conclusion, because there's so much here that we want to dig into and we want to understand. So let's let's read now what we're going to do is we're going to read one verse from last week because I want to hear how he rounds off his central section and then we're going to read um, the bit for today. But here's, here's how he finished last week. This is uh, Matthew 7, verse 12. It's on page 971 of the church Bibles. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Jesus says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now just think about that. Before we dive into the next, just think about that. You've probably heard that or something like that before. And it's easy for it just to kind of wash over you and go, oh, that sounds nice. We should all do to others what we want them to do to us. And we go, that's nice, Jesus. What Jesus is saying in that sentence is so deep and so profound As he sums up the way of life in his kingdom, he says, you want me to sum it up? This is it. Do to others as you want them to do to you. Now listen, not, notice, he doesn't say do to others as they do to you. That's a very different ethic, right? That's the tit-for-tat ethic. I'll do for you if you do it for me. This is the experience all of us have had when someone has bought you a birthday present and you weren't expecting that. It wasn't sort of, that wasn't the expectation. When someone gives you the present, what do you immediately think? You don't think, oh, how lovely, how kind. You think, when's their birthday? (laughs) And how on earth am I going to remember to give them a present back? Because so much of the mentality that we live by is due to others as they do to you. Whatever they do to you, do it to them. If they're mean to you, you be mean back. If they're kind to you, you be kind back. Jesus doesn't say that. In fact, his ethic, let's push this even harder, right? The ethic in the kingdom is not even do no harm. Think about how often you hear that. This is the ethic lots of people live by. As long as I'm not harming anyone. I'm free to do what I want as long as I don't hurt anybody else. That's a very common thing that you hear. And Jesus says, no, not even that. He says, do to others as you want them to do to you. So supposing, right? let Let me try and give you some practical examples of this. Supposing you discover that your favorite clothing brand manufactures its clothes in a sweatshop in China. What do you do? If you're a kingdom person, what do you do? Do you go on? I mean, right? Already, this is oh no! I mean, this is terrible. This is awful, right? To even think about this, what do we do? What we might think is, I'll do no harm. I will stop buying clothes from that short store because I don't want to do harm to those people. Can I tell you if I was enslaved in a sweatshop? I do not want you to just stop buying the clothes. I want you to do more. I want you to help. I want you to do something. Do you see how this ethic works that Jesus is calling us to? Do you see the height of the standard that Jesus is calling us to in the kingdom? Let's not fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus is some nice teacher who had some nice ideas. He is radically profound in the way that he calls us to live our lives. And, verse 12, he says to do this in everything. In everything. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. I read a sermon this week that was preached in 1792 by a man called Abraham Booth. And it was a sermon against the slave trade. It was a sermon where he was calling, just before William Wilberforce came on the scene, it was a sermon where he was preaching for the abolition of slavery. And one of the main, I mean he made lots of arguments, one of the main arguments he made was this. Because if you do not work for the abolition of slavery, then you are saying that if someone came and took your wives and your children, that that's okay. Do to others as you want them to do to you. This means that our morality is so much about others and about how we treat others. I think what we do is we make morality very much an individualistic thing it's about me and my personal sin and I need to try and not be naughty in my thinking and in my personal life Jesus says no actually it's about the way you treat other people over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount it's about how you treat other people do you get angry with them do you lust after them do you forgive them or do you harbor a grudge When you're giving or praying or fasting, do you do it to put on a show so that everyone's impressed? Or do you do it in secret so only your father sees? It's about how you treat the people around you over and over and over again. Do you store up your stuff so that you've got everything you need so you don't need to worry? Or do you give and give and give? This is a massively high calling that Jesus is calling us to. This is what Jesus says sums up the law and the prophets. You want to know what the law and the prophets are about? This is it. This is God's radical call to be a people who are so different. And how on earth do you do that? Well, look at the the first word of verse 12. So in everything. So. Okay, what? On what basis do you do everything? Because... You are children of a heavenly Father who loves to give good gifts to you. Because of who you are. Because to be a Christian means you have been taken from the kingdom of darkness and you've been brought into the family of God. You have been adopted by God. You get to call God Father and He loves to give you good gifts. Even when you don't deserve it, even when you were far from him, even when you ignored him, he so loved you that he called you and gave his son for you so that you might be part of his beautiful kingdom. So, the way that you can live out this kingdom is not by trying as hard as you can, but instead by saying, Father, help me to be your child in this world, to be your child. And that really sums up this big middle block that Jesus has been teaching about, the law and the prophets, to live this radical, others-centered life, doing to others as you'd have them do to you. I wonder what difference it would make to our lives this week if in every interaction we had, we thought, how would I want to be treated as I'm about to gossip about someone? Would I want them to gossip about me? That's the challenge. And then we get, so that's where he rounds it all off. And then he gets to verse 12. And and this is the bit we're supposed to, verse 13, this is the bit we're supposed to be doing um, for today. I wanted to see, I want want you to see that because we're going to come back to it. You're going to see that this is the way that Jesus is calling us to. But let's get into uh, Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Why don't we pray? Let's ask that God would help us. And then we're going to think about this short little section that Jesus said, and we're going to learn from our great teacher together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us now. Please help us to listen to these words of Jesus and to let them take root deeply in our lives, in our hearts, we pray. Please let us be kingdom people, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's Jesus coming into land with his sermon. Here's Jesus wanting to push it home, wanting to make sure that his... Disciples who are gathered all around him have listened to what he said, and this is his big thing. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Enter through the narrow gate. Now, if you just want to make Jesus into a teacher, a nice teacher, a teacher who says things like, Love your enemies and do to others as you want them to do to you. And you go, oh, that's nice, that's nice, that's nice. What you have to do is take the sayings of Jesus and pull them out of their context, out of the Bible, put them on a poster and go, there we go, look, isn't Jesus nice? But you can't really do that with Jesus. It's not fair to him, and actually it's not even possible when you look at what he actually said. Enter through the narrow gate that's not one that we'd probably put on a poster, right? Do to others as you have to do to yourself. Yeah, let's put that on a poster. Enter through the narrow gate, not so much. And yet, they're right next to each other in the Bible, in Jesus' sermon. What's he doing? Well, I think the thing that's really gripped me this week as I've studied this is that Jesus is placing himself in a major theme that runs through the Bible story. This is not Jesus out of the blue going, oh, I don't know. Enter through the narrow gate. Why don't you do that? This is Jesus deliberately and intentionally placing himself in a great storyline. This is Jesus using the ideas and the images of wisdom. This is the call of wisdom. Now, though he doesn't mention wisdom here, he is going to in about three weeks' time when we get to the wise and foolish builders. The issue at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is, will you be wise? Wisdom. Now, Of course, we get a bit confused about wisdom, right? We think wisdom is about being clever or being an owl. One of those two. Um, And so we think that wise people right they're old and they live in the forest and you go and see them and they might be owls if that's not how you view wisdom i don't know where you've been all your life what i want to do is i want to just show you what jesus is doing here as as he calls to people here is his urgent urgent plea enter through the narrow gate it's like he's calling this crowd he says you You must enter this narrow, there's a narrow gate and you must enter it. You must come this way. Jesus is setting before them two paths, a wide path and a narrow path. And as he does it, he's doing something that has happened many, many, many times before in the Bible. The first time this happens in the Bible, it was right back at the beginning. It was right back at the start in the garden. When God created the world, he put two trees. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees. And the two trees were like two gates that offered two ways to live your life. You could humbly take the fruit from the tree of life and in dependence upon God, listen to him and sink your teeth into the juicy fruit of life. And live. Live in the place of abundance and joy in the garden with God. Or you could choose the other gate, the other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where you would, in pride... Seek to establish your own wisdom. Seek to do what seems right to you and take the fruit that God has forbidden, sink your teeth into it and be set on the road to death and destruction. Do you see? There's two trees, right? Now, look, let's think think this harder, right? Keep pushing this. When God put the two trees in the garden, do you know where he put them? In the middle. He put them in the middle of the garden. Why? Because he wanted humanity to live their lives with this conscious decision. Will you choose wisdom or will you choose foolishness? Which will you choose? Will you choose to listen to God or will you choose your own wisdom? Which is actually foolishness. And it wasn't a one-off choice. Okay, this is... you, you Hear this really carefully. God didn't say, right, for one day, one, one time offer, you got the two trees, which one do you want? And then, and, and then the idea was they'd be taken away and you'd kind of carry on. No, the idea was, that the, the picture is that those trees would constantly have constantly been in the garden. If Adam and Eve had trusted God, they would constantly have been in the presence of those two trees. It was a daily decision, not a one-off decision, it was a daily decision to choose wisdom Every day, there would be the choice of wisdom. Could it be that Adam and Eve lived for a little while in the garden, enjoying the fruit from the tree of life? Every day, choosing that tree, choosing that tree, until one day they chose to listen to a different voice. They choose to doubt the voice of wisdom and instead listen to another voice. And instead choose foolishness. We don't know, but it's possible. That's the picture. You have this choice. When humanity chose foolishness, when humanity chose pride over humility, God's response was to remove them from the garden. God's response was to remove them from the place of life and joy and abundance and instead for them to live in the place of suffering and death and pain. A painful world, a cursed world. And yet that wasn't the end. God continued to come to his people and to offer them life. So in Deuteronomy chapter 30, you get this amazing bit where Moses comes to God's people and he preaches this great sermon to them. And at the end of it, it says, see, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. I've set before you these two things. And then he says, choose life. Choose life. Choose the root of humble obedience upon the word of God rather than the root of proud, arrogant, self-determined wisdom. So you get these two all the time. You get this picture all, all, all the way through of these twos. And then it becomes most clear in the book of Proverbs. Because by the book of Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom, what you discover is that Wisdom and folly have moved from being trees and have now become women. There's a woman, not literal women, personified a picture of woman wisdom and woman folly. And in Proverbs chapter 9, woman wisdom is saying, come to my house, come my way, come my way, enter my door, enter through this way, walk this way. And folly is saying, no, come my way, come my way, come my way. And this is what you see over and over again, this pattern in the Bible of these two ways, the way of wisdom and the way of folly. So when Jesus stands at the end of his sermon on the mount and he wants to ram home his message, he wants to challenge his hearers, he takes the words of Lady Wisdom, enter this way. Enter through the narrow gate. Come this way. You see, to be a Christian is not about a decision that you once made. To be a Christian is not about a decision that you made 22 years ago, when, 22, 10 years ago, when you said, I'm going to follow Jesus. That is not what it means. It's not I made a decision once to be a Christian. means you are choosing every day to walk the road of wisdom. Every day saying I will go this way. I will walk this way, not that way. Because wisdom is about the way you walk. Wisdom is about the way you walk. In fact, it's so deeply embedded in the early Christians that the nickname for Christians, right, for the, the way they were described was that they belonged to the way. That's what Christians are. Four times in the book of Acts, we're told that Christians belong to the way. Oh, you know those people, they belong to the way. What a a weird way to describe people, unless they'd so understood Jesus' teaching that to be a Christian is about the way. It is about a way you walk, a road you walk, a path you stay on. That is what it means to be a Christian. And that is what Jesus, at the end of his sermon, is challenging and calling his disciples, enter through the narrow gate. Yes, it is something that you have to do on the first time you become a Christian, right? The first moment when you realize this Jesus bloke, he's king. There's a moment when you realize that and you say, I'm going to stop listening to my wisdom. I'm going to listen to his wisdom. When you hear the wisdom of Jesus and it blows you away, when you listen to his Sermon on the Mount, you think, man, no one else is like him. Right? Jesus is the best. His teaching is extraordinary. And when you realize that, you say, I want to go his way. And you go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm sorry I've ignored you. I want to listen to you. And he says, "Ah, oh, my son, my daughter, I love you. Welcome. And he forgives you because he died for you. And he welcomes you in through the gate. And he says, now let's walk this way together. So it does start there. And for some of you, perhaps this afternoon, that's that's today, right? What a cool thing if today you heard the voice of Jesus say, listen to me, walk my way, come my way. Even today, you could say to Jesus, I'm done with human wisdom. I'm done with trying to live my life my way. Jesus, I want to go your way. I want to live your way. Please forgive me and please change me. You could do that today. And if you did do that 10 years ago, let me tell you this. You need to do it today. Again. Not become a Christian again, because that's a weird thing. But that language of becoming a Christian, I think, is probably quite unhelpful. Actually, the language is the way you're walking. So, what road are you walking today? So, here's the great call of wisdom walk this way. Will you walk this way? But let's push on with this because we need to dig a bit deeper into what Jesus says about this way because now we need to see the challenge of wisdom. And the challenge of wisdom that Jesus gives us is that the way that he calls us to is narrow. I don't have all the adjectives that you love in the world. We've all got our favorite adjectives. That was awesome. That was spectacular. Whatever your favorite adjective is, we've all got them. My guess is that not many of us have narrow in our favorite adjectives. It's not a nice word, is it? Narrow. It was narrow. You know, my house is narrow. You don't go, how lovely. Terrific. Wish I had a narrow house. (laughs) So it's an odd phrase. Why would Jesus use the the word narrow to describe the gate and then the way that he's calling us on? Well, it's in contrast to the broad, the wide. And I was thinking about this, and you've got to keep pushing, right? When, you, when you've just got a few verses, you have to think really hard and pray and say, God, why? Why did you say that? Well, I think there's probably a few reasons why the wide road is wide. Firstly, the wide road is wide because it just seems wise. It seems obvious. It seems right. There's a verse in Proverbs um, that says this, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Here's what you have to understand about the wide way. It seems right. As you look at it, you go, I think that's the right thing to do. Isn't that quite scary? It, I think we often think that kind of going the wrong way has kind of got this big warning sign ah, ah, don't go this way don't go this way and we go I'm not listening I'm not listening actually often it appears to be right there's something else go, yes that's, that seems to be the right thing and that's why it's wide because it's very easy to go that way and the narrow way means we need to listen to the voice of Jesus and let him say no this is right we need to Put aside our determination of what is wise and not it wise and what is right and not right, i we need to say, Jesus, what is the right way? Which means if we're going to go the narrow way, it means saying, Jesus, I, I want to know your way, I want to go your way, I want to live like you lived, I want to do the things you did. Jesus, please show me. That's narrower. Because sometimes you'll find it doesn't seem right to you. Because what you would naturally, instinctively do, Jesus says, no, go this way. That's hard. I also think the wide road is wide because it's popular. There's plenty of people on it. Many go down the wide road. There are lots of people who go that way, which means it's very easy to go that, to to follow along. We've all done this, right? You don't have a clue where you're going in the airport or somewhere. You don't know where you're going and you haven't got Google Maps. And you don't trust Google Maps anyway because you're a cynical 30-year-old. And instead, what you do is you just follow the crowd. Well, there's a lot of people walking that direction. It's probably right. Because all those people must be going somewhere, and therefore I'll follow them. And then you discover you're in the Bahamas, not in Portugal, like you thought you were going to. You see, that's why it can sometimes feel wide, because there's plenty of people on it. And Jesus says, actually, there aren't that many on the narrow way. And we may have all sorts of questions about that. We may think, well, why? Why doesn't God save more people? That's a question for another passage. In this passage, Jesus is just saying it like it is. Let's face it, Jesus is right. In London, there are many, many more people who do not follow him than do. That means it is incredibly hard for us to follow Jesus because not many people are. Right? And yet, Jesus says to his disciples... There is a narrow way. And so when you look around and there doesn't seem to be many other people on the path, don't panic. This is the way of the kingdom. This is the way that Jesus is calling us to live. So when you do to others as you would have them do to you, right? So in your workplace, someone wrongs you. And you think, well, I'm going to treat them with love. And I'm going to respond because Jesus tells me to. Because I'm a son of God, child of God. I'm going to respond in love and forgiveness. And you respond in love and forgiveness. They trample all over you. And they chuck you out. And you go, well, what's happened? Why, Why did that happen? Well, because there are many on the broad road and few on the narrow Jesus never promised you that if you live his way, it's going to be easy. He never promised you that everyone's going to love you. In fact, he said they're going to persecute you. And so, of course, the narrow way feels hard because there are a few people on it. One more thing about the wide road, and that is that the wide road has many, many different options. You can be on the wide road in lots of different ways. You can be really, really religious and be on the wide road, right? Right? The main people that Jesus has a go at in the, in the Sermon on the Mount is the Pharisees. They are very religious. They pray. They give their money. They fast. And Jesus says, you're on the broad road. So you can be very religious and be on the broad road. Or you can be very irreligious. You can be wild and completely out of control and be on the broad road. Or you could be quite civilized, middle of the road, quite a nice sort of person, living a suburban sort of life. You know, here I am, just chilling out. on the broad. There's many, many ways to kind of do the broad road thing. There's only one way to do the narrow road. That is to listen to the voice of Jesus. It's why it's narrow. There's only one way. Jesus says that he alone is the king of this kingdom. He alone is the one who can bring you into this kingdom. He alone is the way in. That's why it was helpful that Johnny started where we started the service, right? Jesus said, I am the way. That's why it's narrow. Not narrow in the sense that it's exclusive because Jesus says anyone can come in. No one is excluded. But many don't. So it's narrow. And if you find being a Christian hard, that's because the path is narrow. It's hard, isn't it, being a Christian? Don't you find it hard? If you don't find it hard, could it be that although you claim to follow Jesus, you are not actually listening to him? You are choosing to walk the broader road? Could that be? Well, here's the final thing. We've seen the call of wisdom. We've seen the challenge of wisdom. And now here comes the promise of wisdom. The promise of wisdom is life. Why would you walk this way? Why would you walk a hard road? Why would you not just go the way that appears right, the way that's popular, the way that I can do it my way, be whatever I want to be? Why wouldn't I walk that road? Well, Jesus says, because life is here. Life is found in the narrow road with him, listening to him. You see, his warning is stark. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. When the man and woman were faced with those two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the wisdom and knowledge of good and evil, they chose foolishness, and it led to a mess it led to death it led to destruction it led to pain it led to so much sorrow because when we choose to go our way there are consequences that follow there's a mess that happens but jesus great promises if you go his way there is life there is freedom there is joy And this is the great promise that Jesus holds out to us in his sermon. This is the great warning and yet the great beautiful comfort. Walk this way because this is life. And not just a future life at some point when I die, but life now life as I discover what it truly means to be human, what it discovers to be a child of God, what it means to be part of his kingdom and to now give and give to those around me now to enjoy that life yes it's hard but you can have something that's both hard and joyful at the same time because Jesus is with you on that road and he says I'm for you and as you walk that road you are simply walking the road that he went ahead of you, Jesus who went to a cross and died, he gave his life, why did he do it? Because he knew that that's where life was found who now says to you will you take up your cross and will you follow me on this hard road of suffering and as you follow him there's joy, joy, joy joy now, joy then, joy forever or will we follow the path the broad path which leads to mess now destruction now relationships destroyed now and it leads to destruction then, forever. This is what Jesus is setting before us. And I just want to wrap this up, because I've wrestled with this week, This week, and I've tried to think about how to explain this. When I first, trusted, when I first came to Jesus, and he forgave me my sin, I set off on that, broad, that narrow path. But if I'm honest, there's been days when I've wandered away, right? And so my there have been micro stories in my life where I've chosen to do things that Jesus says are foolish and it leads to destruction. I've experienced it, haven't you? I've experienced foolishness that leads to destruction. Foolishness that leads to destruction. Micro stories, I've experienced it in my life. And if you find yourself in that place, I want you to look up and see that there is a gate. There's a gate. There's a way back. There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a way back. There's a gate that is open for you. There's a gate that Jesus says, come back. And the micro stories of those days when I wonder. I wander into the broad road and and I begin to to walk that way. Jesus, come back, come back. And that's the grace of Jesus that he forgives us. There's always a way back to him. So every decision that you make this week, you're gonna get to a crossroads. You're going to have a choice. Which way are you going to go? Let me finish with this verse from Jeremiah. Have a look at this verse. This is such a beautiful verse. Jeremiah 6, 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient parts and where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said... We will not walk in it. Here is what God offers us today. Here is what God stands. This is what Jesus, our great King, says. Life in His kingdom. Life loving others. Living our lives sacrificially for Him. Wisdom. Walk this way. Every time you get to a crossroads, stop. Ask. For the ancient ways, which is the way? Jesus, which way? How do I go the way that is what you say, the way of wisdom? So where do you find yourself today? Do you find yourself joyfully walking the narrow path? Perhaps with tears? Some of you perhaps are tempted to give up on the narrow path. It's too hard. But Jesus brought you to church to say, hang in there. This is the right path. This is the path to life. This is the path that we walk to the kingdom. Perhaps some of us find ourselves on the broad road. We know we're going that way. We're doing what we know God says is wrong, but we're going to live it anyway. We're going to do what we we think we can escape the consequences. And God says, I plead with you today, enter through the narrow gate. Please, please leave that road. Please leave that road. It will destroy you. Jesus says, Come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you life. Why don't we bow our heads and let's pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we sit here this afternoon, we hear the call of wisdom. This ancient call, this call that has been sounded throughout every generation of humanity, the call of wisdom to be wise to walk your way, to enter the narrow gate, to go the way of wisdom, to choose life. And Lord, many of us are here again and we want to say sorry for those times when we have wandered from you. And today, Jesus, we want to choose life again. We want to choose to go your way. We want to choose to offer ourselves to you and say, Lord Jesus, You know all our faults. You know all our failures. And yet we choose life today. We choose to walk this narrow way, this hard way, this way of love, this way of sacrifice. We choose to walk your way, Lord Jesus. Please help us, we ask. Amen.